Are you afraid of spending a night at the curse den? <laughs> you should be. Step inside as we share with you stories of darkness and the unknown. The following stories came to us from Reddit users who were too afraid to sleep. As soon, you will be too. These tales will leave you shivering in your bed at night, too afraid to peek out from under the covers, and terrifying nightmares when sleep finally does find you. So wrap yourself in a blanket, be sure to lock your doors and windows, and don't forget to check your closet, as we give you a tour of the dark side. We do hope you enjoy your stay. Let's begin, shall we? Our first story this evening is born from the sweetest of memories. It feeds on the innocence of childhood of a young boy simply wanting a doll to play with. Is that too much to ask for? No, you would say. However, this doll comes with something more than what the young boy hopes for. This tale is entitled Little Dancer. Most children have a favorite toy. For some, it's a doll, others a box of Legos, and others still something like Lincoln Logs or Army Men. I had a favorite toy too. It was the source of endless joy that soon turned into an inescapable nightmare. I was a pretty average kid, if not a little overactive and rambunctious at times. I enjoyed all the usual activities, going outside, watching cartoons, and <laughs> you guessed it, playing with toys. My dad bought me a subscription to a hobby magazine and let me select one toy from it each month if I had been well behaved. One particular June, I was good enough to earn a new toy and began browsing through my options. One relatively crude item stuck out to me. Its name, printed in bright red on the white hand space, was Little Dancer. It had descriptions in both German and English, the latter of which read as follows. Made from 100% black forest wood, this little dancer never stops. Set him down and watch him go. Something about it piqued my curiosity and led me to pick it out, though my father found my choice to be rather strange. He called the number and made the order before noting the vendor's very distinctive German accent. I was all but ecstatic about the strange little European toy counting down the days until it arrived. When I finally got my hands on it, I noticed it came in a small, ornately decorated box with gold-plated hinges and a fastener. How cute! My mom laughed. I opened the box to reveal a four-inch wooden doll on a bed of purple velvet dressed in traditional lederhosen with a small red hat on its head. Its face was painted on and its cheeks were airbrushed to be rosy red. After looking around for a button or a wind-up handle, I was disappointed that the little figure didn't seem to dance. No wonder it was so cheap, my dad scoffed. It's okay, son. 
You can still set it in your room as decoration. I nodded and took the box up to my room with the little dancer inside. Taking it out of the box, I set it on the windowsill and turned away before quickly turning my attention back to it. It seemed that in the absence of my parents, something magical happened, as if given life by an unseen force. The doll began to do a jig right before my eyes. I was absolutely taken with this little routine until a song began to play. Now, this is where I would like to mention that it didn't have a speaker in its back or hook up to any sort of musical device. It wasn't a music box, nothing like that. It played the song, but it played it inside of my head, involuntarily subjecting me to something that, at the time, I was more than happy to listen to. The closest sensation I could compare it to is wearing high-definition noise-canceling headphones. These were the lyrics that played to the tune of I Am A Little Teapot. I'm the little dancer, watch me go. I love dancing to and fro. I can dance all day and dance all night. Oh, am I a glorious sight. I laughed and clapped the first time it did this, killing it to bow and repeat itself. It would do a variety of dances to accompany the tune, even changing the instrumentation to that of different music types to give its routine a sense of spectrum. When I picked it up to show my parents, it stopped moving and the song subsequently went quiet. Mom! Dad! I excitedly called out, rushing down the stairs and scrambling to the living room couch. I got him to dance! Come see! Okay, okay, laughed my mother, who joined me in the living room as I stood the little dancer up on his two stick legs and waited for it to start its routine. As fate would have it, however, the jig never started and the song never played. It did it just a few minutes ago, I told her in utter seriousness. I swear! Sweetie, I think your imagination is running wild again. Go have fun with your new toy, and I'll call you down when dinner is ready. She left for the kitchen, and I put it back in its box when the unimaginable happened. Don't do that again. I heard the cautionary words of a young German boy playing in my head. Don't... Don't do what? I asked aloud. Shh. The voice quieted. I am the little dancer. Talk to me like this, so they don't suspect you. In my head? I thought, wondering if it could hear my response. Yeah, it responded. Don't show me to your parents again. Watch me dance some more, okay? I got up to my room and set it upright on my windowsill once more. Okay, I silently responded. Can it hear everything, I think? I pondered, unaware that I could read my every thought. Yeah, it answered. And I am a he, now. Don't worry about it, and watch me dance. The song, sung by another set of voices altogether, began to play once again in a different arrangement than the last while the figure started its routine again. I sat and watched, almost hypnotized, until my mom broke the quote-unquote spell and called me down for supper. Go eat, he told me. I will play this song quietly and wait for you. Okay, 
I replied, heading downstairs and joining my parents for dinner. Lo and behold, the song quietly played in my mind as background noise while I ate with my family. After I finished, I went back up to my room and watched my newfound friend continue his performance until the sun set and I grew tired. Go to sleep, he encouraged. I will keep it down. Can't, can't you take a break? I suggested, not knowing why he'd want to keep going all night. I dance all day and I dance all night. He reminded me, quietly continuing dancing to the song that he kept playing, albeit much more quietly. I drifted off out of consciousness to the same four lines sung over and over again, somehow never growing tired of them. My parents needed to go out and run a few errands the next day, but didn't want to hire a babysitter, which led them asking me to get ready and come along with them. Take me with you, the little dancer pleaded, to which I obliged. I put him in my pocket, tied my shoes, and followed them to our sedan. I can't breathe in here, it complained. Hold me in your hand. Obliging its request, I held him in my outstretched hand and watched him move into a sitting position. How do you move around like that? I inquired with my mouth shut the entire time. You mean, how am I alive? He asked with a little laugh. That is one of my many secrets, my friend. You need not concern yourself with such things. All right, I responded, though I didn't dedicate any specific thought to this concern for obvious reasons. I noticed that my new friend was beginning to seem more like a parent or authority figure in the way that he ordered me to do certain things and told me not to question his reasoning. Even so, I brushed the concerns off and let the song play throughout the time we were on about. My dad spontaneously decided to stop for ice cream and pulled him to the parking lot of a local ice cream shop. You're going to have to keep him in the car, he pointed out, noticing I had kept him in the palm of my hand the entire time. Don't listen to him, the doll warned. He is not your friend. I am. He's my dad. I reminded him. I have to listen to him, or I'll get in trouble. I don't give a damn, he angrily replied, his voice now shifting to that of a middle-aged man. You will take me with you, even if it means you don't have ice cream. No, I protested this time out loud as I threw it on the middle seat and hurried out of the car. It strung together a series of loud obscenities at me, words I'd only heard in the occasional R-rated movie and my dad when he hurt himself. Content and volume of his tirade was nearly unbearable, deafening everything else around me. What do you want? I finally heard my father ask, bringing the profanity to a halt. I looked at the menu and made my choice, at which point the curses and insults began again. While sitting with my family, I looked back at the car. At the bottom of the window where I was sitting, I saw him banging his wooden fist on the glass in what appeared to be an escape attempt. I didn't even try to alert my parents out of fear of what he would do next. Throughout the car ride home, he berated me, unless my mother or father spoke to me. It all eventually blended together, but I remember certain remarks. Don't you ever leave me again, you sniveling little brat. I have half a mind to beat you senseless. 
You're a doll, I finally protested with my telepathic ability. You're a little wooden doll. You can't hurt me. Suddenly, an ear-piercing frequency blasted my hearing until I doubled over in pain and covered my ears. It lasted for five long, grueling seconds before it stopped. That is only a taste, it threatened. Test me again, once you will know true pain. His voice was still that of an angry, middle-aged man. I felt blood welling in my ears, but didn't say a word to my parents for fear of sounding stupid. Okay, I thought quietly. I'm sorry for leaving you. Good, and I'm sorry I had to do that. It replied, turning the little boy's voice back on like a switch. Still, you must learn that you can't leave me. I get agitated, it replied. It really is more your fault than mine. Are you sure about- Yeah, it interrupted. I'm sure. Now, would you like to hear some music? It's not like I have a choice. As my father pulled into the driveway and we all got out of the car, the song softly played in the back of my head. It wasn't until my mother began to panic that it subsided. Oh my god, she screamed, half dragging me into the house and looking in my ears. Honey, come look at this. His ears are bleeding. Jesus, my dad solemnly replied, quickly getting some tissues and cleaning them up. When did this happen? Why didn't you say something, son? My six-year-old mind had had enough. It happened in the car, I confessed, placing my little dancer on the counter in front of me. He did it. He made my ears bleed when I told him he couldn't hurt me. You didn't say a word on the way home, son, he reminded me. He talks to me. He talks to me in my head. I think you've had enough time with him, he sternly replied while taking it up from me and slipping it into his pocket. Your little friend will be waiting for you tomorrow. Right now, you need to get some rest and let your ears heal. Understood? Silently nodding in response, I ascended the stairs and walked into my room. As soon as I made it through the door, a pounding headache hit me so hard that I barely made it into my bed. I managed to get myself under the covers, however, and the pain gradually decreased. I heard one last statement before being put right to sleep. You will get this, he told me, his middle-aged voice dripping with venom, and a retributive will as it echoed through the walls of my young psyche. The following afternoon, I'd come to understand exactly what he meant. I woke up covered in a sheen of cold sweat while my dad lightly slapped my face. Thank God, my mom exhaled, an expression of relief washing over as I came to. What's going on? I inquired, confused at the situation. You went great in your sleep, my father informed me, dabbing my forehead with a warm washcloth. You didn't stop breathing, so we didn't call 911. We were going to give it another 20 minutes before we did. What time is it? I asked, wondering what all the fuss was about. One in the afternoon, my mother worriedly told me, Go look in the mirror. Slowly clambering out of bed, I approached my bathroom mirror to find I was as gray as a corpse. Maybe now, the dancer growled, you will listen. You, you did this, I thought, more scared than angry. Yes, he cruelly laughed. I made you suffer. You will now watch me 
or I will make your life hell. You're not safe in your house, your room, or your mind. You now belong to me, not I to you. Keeping my mind blank, I assured my parents that I felt fine before pulling out the box from under my bed. Inside of it was the figure, standing up and hopping onto my windowsill. How did you, despite my size, it interrupted, I am more powerful than you will ever know. Watch. The song began to play, but it was different. The singing was a growly, guttural, reaching unnatural note ranges and uttering strange throat noises while the music itself was nothing more than a series of white noise and discordant violins at varying unnerving pitches. It seemed that the harder I tried to block it out, the louder it became. I used my remaining concentration to read a notice on the inside of the box. If your dancer gets feisty, take off his hat. If you stop his song, but he won't like that. Turning my attention to the little dancer, I saw him floating in the air as the song I heard melted into a chorus of satanic sounding chants, growls, and screams. I grabbed his little body and took off his hat, silencing the cacophony at once. True to the notice on the box, this seemed to have a negative effect. The whites of his painted eyes turned to a shade of crimson as scratches began to appear on his wooden exterior. Small hairs began to grow from his face, combining to make an eerie set of features. You will die, he growled. As if lifted by an unseen force, I was thrown off the bed and onto my hardwood floor. I felt my hair being grabbed before my face was smashed into the ground with such force that my nose began to bleed. I was sure this was his doing, while I was lifted up by the throat and pinned halfway up my wall. Look at me. He taunted, hopping down onto the floor and standing before me. Look at the things that killed you. With his hands on his hips, he stood and watched with demented glee as he choked the life out of me. My vision began to go black, but my parents rushed into my room just before I lost consciousness and fell to the floor. What held him up like that? My mother shrieked beside herself as she ran over to me and ensured that I was okay. I saw my father pick up the toy and inspect it. You gotta see this, honey, he blankly stated. Now able to breathe, I stood up. The figure's changes had remained on his body and face, almost like he was unable to revert back to his former state. Without another word, he stormed out to our backyard fire pit and quickly set it ablaze. Then he took the doll and chucked it into the flame. He snarled in an inhuman voice as the fire consumed him. Not long afterwards, I heard a series of ear-piercing shrieks ring through my ears and mine alone. I doubled over from the force of the attack, my parents embracing me while I rolled around in a mixture of pain, fear, and confusion. A week later, I got out of the hospital with a hearing aid on the way. The little dancer's parting gift made me deaf but it seemed a worthy price to pay to have the tiny terror permanently out of my life. My dad called a number in the ad only to find out that it was disconnected. When he contacted the hobby magazine, they had never heard of the company and were unable to trace their product to a manufacturer. 
It was as if it never existed. To this day, I still have flashbacks to that terrible series of events. The flashbacks have recently affected me to the point where I have hallucinations of the toy, except he isn't so little anymore. An eight foot tall figure often lurks in the corner of whatever room I'm in. A quiet distortion accompanied by the same shrieks and growls as before, seemingly following him wherever he appears. His maleficent red eyes, scratched wooden features, and a scraggly beard are larger than life and twice as chilling in his form. Even if I turn my hearing aid off, it will be the only thing I hear. Every time he returns, he gets a little closer, and the eldritch sound becomes a little louder. Have you ever wandered past someone muttering to themselves in the street? A quick blur of words being spoken under their breath? No doubt they're speaking nonsense, rambling to themselves about something unimportant in the grand scheme of things. But what if it wasn't simple rambling? What if it was something worth listening to? What if it was a warning? This tale is entitled I told them. I told them. I fucking told them. But did they listen? No. I told them that someone was coming for her, but they wouldn't listen. How could they not listen? They saw all the signs. Didn't they see the emails? I had tried to warn them, but they just wouldn't listen. It all started from when she got the first text, telling her how much he loved her. I came to visit them and I tried to warn them. They said that these were just empty threats. They said that it was just some creep trying to pull a prank on her. But no, it was so much more than that. She had been followed. Everywhere she went, she had been followed. Pictures were taken of her. They were sent to her. They thought she was crazy when she showed them. They thought I was crazy trying to tell them. They told me to stay away from them and to keep my craziness away from their daughter. They avoided my warning. Why the fuck did they avoid my warning? I tried to tell her and she believed me. She knew that someone was coming for her I told her and her friends that she needed to watch out. Her friends didn't listen either. They said that she was overreacting to the whole thing. That is, until she showed them the pictures. Then they believed her. She showed her parents, but they thought it was her and her friends trying to pull a prank. I couldn't believe that when she told me. We went to the police and they started an investigation. They were able to catch the creep red-handed. It was none other than her next-door neighbor. They dealt with him. Well, that should have been the end of it, right? No. Because she went missing the night after. Something didn't add up, and I told this to her 
but she said that there was no way because they caught the creep. I told her parents and they didn't believe me. Her friends also took their side. Well, now she's missing. It's been a week that she's been missing. Her family and friends have been looking all over for her, but they just can't find her. Well, I found her. She just so happens to be tied up in a nice little shed in the forest. I felt my hand in her nice hair and told her that everything was going to be all right. Her eyes showed fear and sadness, but I knew in her heart that she loved being there. I couldn't bring myself to take her away from where she loved being. So I left her there. I will go visit her again soon, but I thought I'd type this to you first. Like I said, even though the creep was caught, there was something that didn't add up. The pictures. Her neighbor was way too old and could barely move. The messages that were sent were things that only certain people would know. Certain people, like a best friend would know. I told them. Candles slowly flicker in the corner of the darkened room. Your finger is one of many which is touching the planchette in the center of the Ouija board. It moves, slowly at first, but then faster and fiercer. You tell your friends to knock it off, but they all shrug off your accusation. You laugh to yourself. <laughs> After all, it was one of them, wasn't it? This tale is entitled, Ouija Sessions. Tea lights flicker in the darkness and paint moving shadows on the walls. Fake cobwebs and paper spiders hang from lampshades. A very unscary ghost dangles from the ceiling, slowly turning. Empty beer cans are standing on the massive wooden table, and the air, it smells of cigarette smoke and cheap cologne and anticipation. David places a planchette on the shiny lacquered surface and smiles mischievously. He's a skinny guy with a massive Adam's apple. His red locks are close cropped and hundreds of freckles adorn his pale face. He's undoubtedly the one who brought the Ouija board. Are you guys ready for this? He asks, putting on his best villain in a movie smile. Dude, bring it on, says Jeffrey, gulping down his beer and belching loudly. The room erupts in laughter. You're disgusting, the gorgeous blonde girl next to him pokes him with her elbow. I don't know her name yet. Angelica, small, with beautiful short black hair, sits across and rolls her eyes. Next to her sits a chubby Korean guy with glasses, Hyun Wook. Okay, we need to place our fingers on the planchette. Are you ready? Adam says. Hold on, isn't there some kind of opening ritual? Hyun asks. Jeffrey places his fingers on his temples and closes his eyes, dramatically saying, Yes, we need to clear our minds. You guys are idiots, Angelica rolls her eyes again. No, we need to move the planchette a little and then ask a question, David says, all serious. But apparently it's very important to move the planchette to goodbye in the end, or the ghost will escape from the board. 
He smiles his mischievous little smile at the blonde girl, and I realize two things immediately. Firstly, he tries to impress her because he has a huge crush on her. Secondly, he is not alright with this situation. I can see that he's scared, but doesn't want to show it. Alright, let's go, Jeffrey says, and slightly touches the planchette. We all join in, and the planchette moves in smooth circles across the board. There it goes, David laughs. Who should ask the first question, Angelica asks. She seems intrigued. I'll do it, David says, focused and hell-bent on being the center of attention. He's the kind of guy who gets up and leaves when he loses at Monopoly, I think. This is not Monopoly. Are there any ghosts present in the room? He asks loudly, and I'm the only one that catches his side glimpse to the blonde girl. The planchette moves in a circle and finally stops a yes. This is fucking crazy, Jeffrey says. Like a very light, cold breeze turning a pinwheel in the other direction, the atmosphere in the room changes. Drunkenness and silliness fade dimly into the background, but stays in a subtle, very subtle uneasiness. Smiles become faker, laughter shorter and louder. You guys aren't moving this, right? Hune asks, because I didn't push it at all. The small circle of young people agrees. No one's pushing it. I don't like this, the blonde girl says. She's drop-dead beautiful. There's nothing going to happen to you, Sarah, Adam says reassuringly. The jerk wants to scare her deliberately to be all protective later, when it's over, I think. Can you tell us your name? Angelica asks. She's obviously having fun. The room falls silent, and again the planchette glides over the board, all eyes following it. F. G. Z. Z. K. A. A. S. C. T. K. That's a terrible name, Hune says dryly and Jeffrey laughs out loud. Adam looks at them angrily. He doesn't want his great event to be ridiculed. Let's try this again, Angelica says and adds, We did not understand. Can you tell us your name, please? Silence. The planchette spells out Z-A-K. Zack, here we go, Jeffrey smiles. We just have to be nice to him, I guess, Angelica smiles. Yeah, I say laughingly, but nobody hears me. They are too absorbed in the board. Sarah shifts uneasily in her seat. The small group of people has slowly gained a conspirative quality, like children who know they are doing something mom and dad haven't allowed. Conspirational glances are shared all around. How have you died, Jeffrey blurts out, and before they can really react, the planchette already starts moving, and this time, a lot faster. It circles the board a while, and then the word C-R-A-S is spelled out. Poor guy was run over by a car, Hune says into a room as silent as a mortuary. Sarah stood up and says, I don't want to do this anymore. This is stupid. It's obvious that she's frightened. Her bambi eyes are widened in terror. Poor Sarah. Yeah, we should probably leave it at that, Jeffrey says all sober all of a sudden, and making it painfully obvious to the others that he's just as scared as Sarah. I smile, but they don't see it. Of course, this is David's time to shine. Come on, guys, this isn't serious. Don't be such a pussy, Jeffrey. 
Jeffrey crosses his muscular arms and sits there silently with a pouty face and a hurt ego. Come on guys, this is fun, Angelica says and laughs at Sarah. What do you think will happen, Sarah? A ghost will appear in this living room? I don't care, you guys are all in on this. And you, and you, and you try to scare me and that's fucked up. Her voice is breaking and she's close to tears. Sarah, no one's trying to scare you, okay? Jeffrey says soothingly, holding her shoulder. Right, guys? Everyone tries to calm her down. All I know, this fucking thing is moving on its own, and if nobody is pushing it, who is? She yells. Zack, Angelica is giggling. This is not funny, Sarah says, giving her the death stare. I'm sorry, Angelica says with a false, I won't do it again look on her sharp face. Come on, guys, she's really scared, Hyun Wook says, fidgeting nervously around his beer can. Yeah, let's do that. Then I'll take her home, all right? Jeffrey is saying in a vain attempt to save his face, and boy, I can feel David's anger without even looking at him. Sarah slumps back in her chair, defeated, and this time really sobbing a little. We all place our fingers on the planchette. Adam has to play alpha male again and bluntly asks the ultimate Ouija board question. How will I die? He seems surprised by himself, and the others look at him in terror. Jesus Christ, dude, Hewn whispers. Before any kind of interference can occur, the planchette races along the board. C. A. N. C. E. R. The small group of accomplices sits there stunned like they are actually sitting at Adam's funeral. Sarah starts to cry, pressing her face against Jeffrey's broad shoulder. In the flash of a moment, I could see Adam lying in a clean hospital room, still skinny, still full of freckles, passing away, while rain beats upon the window pane. Jeffrey is pissed off and scared, all color drained from his face. You're happy now? He asked David, still holding the crying Sarah. Guys, let's stop this, Hune, the voice of reason says. Angelica also looks like she wants to give up, whispering, Kono. David looks Jeffrey straight into the eyes and asks coldly, How will Jeffrey die? Fuck you, dude, Jeffrey screams, his head beaming with redness and he lets go of the planchet. Too late, the planchet has already started and gently glides beneath our fingertips. H. R. T. A. T. T. A. C. An old and still muscular, but also plumper Jeffrey lies on the floor in a hardware store, shaking in spasms. A trucker cap on his graying black hair, an image comes and goes. All energy is sucked out of the room. I look at them sitting around me. They are not goofy or silly or tipsy anymore. Their faces look sad and tired. Orange death masks swimming in a dark room. Adam looks sad too, and I know he actually feels bad. They sit around, scared, not sure what to do with themselves. A minute in absolute silence passes. I look at them in all their vitality and youth, and I feel jealous because of it. A group of people, now friends, with their short and insignificant but beautiful lives still ahead of them. They taste and touch and feel and love and laugh and cry until the inevitable but gentle darkness swallows them all. I guess we should say goodbye to Zack, Angelica finally says. I like her the most, so I lean over to her and gently whisper in her ear. Goodbye, Angelica. 
and as the goosebumps creep across her neck and she convulses in her chair, Hune pushes the planchette to goodbye, and I disappear into oblivion and gentle darkness once again. A thing that no one cares to think about is that their home was not necessarily their home. Usually it has been lived in by other families, with other people calling it home. And now, it's your turn. You decorate it and turn it to your taste, but sometimes the previous homeowner leaves something behind. Something that disturbs you. Something that sends shivers down your spine. This was their home too, once. And perhaps things happened in your home that you don't dare think about. This tale is entitled, Mommy Makes Me Sick. Shit. I'm not really sure what to do right now, and I shouldn't be saying shit, I know. My dad would kick my ass if he knew I was using bad words, but I'm sure he's going to kick my ass anyway when he finds out that I snooped in the one place he told me not to. See, my dad and I just moved to this new house in Dorchester, Massachusetts. No, I won't tell you the address. I may be a kid, but I'm not stupid. I know you aren't supposed to talk to strangers on the internet or take candy from creepy white vans or whatever. I probably shouldn't even be posting this but I'm not exactly flushed with options right now and this seems like my only route for something like this. So I guess here it goes. We moved into this old Victorian home because my dad got a new job offer in Boston. It was pretty sick. It had five bedrooms, a giant kitchen, a massive fireplace, and a decent-sized yard for still technically being in the city. The realtor didn't know much about the place, only that it's been unoccupied for a few years and was just recently renovated. Apparently, there was a fire way back in the day or something. It was old too, like a hundred years. Either way, I was psyched to live in a city and meet new friends. I thought it would be way more interesting than living in that small shitty-ass town I grew up in my whole life. My dad let me pick whatever room I wanted and basically allowed me free reign of the house and the neighborhood. He had only one stipulation. I shouldn't go anywhere near the attic. So obviously, that's the first thing I did. Apparently, the people who renovated the house had just boarded up the attic since it was basically useless. It was dusty, full of old, moldy shit, and in my dad's words, just plain dangerous. At first, I didn't see what the fuss was about until I found the journal. It was tucked under a loose floorboard I had tripped over. Guess you were right, dad. As I rubbed my leg and let out a string of curses, I saw the journal peeking out from under the floor. I snatched it up and scurried downstairs before my dad got home. The journal is pretty old and has a beaten black leather cover. It's written in massive cursive scrawl. I've transcribed its contents here. December 25th, 1944. Hello, my name is Mary and this is my new journal. 
Mommy got it for me for Christmas this year and I am so excited. I've never owned a journal before. Mommy says that they're for big girls, so I guess this means I'm a big girl now. Mommy says I have to be a big girl for her. She cried a lot today and said that Papa would have been really proud of me for getting so big. But Papa isn't here today. Mommy says that he isn't coming back from his trip. I miss him a lot, but Mommy says he's been really, really, really brave and I should be proud of him for defending our country. I don't really care if Papa is brave. I just want him to come home. Mommy wants me to come downstairs now to eat supper, so I have to say bye. Love always, Mary Sue Bennett. January 2nd, 1945. Mommy had a really loud party the other night. There were lots of dancing and music that made my eardrums hurt. Mommy said I had to stay in my room and I couldn't come to the party because it was for grown-ups. I'm mad because she told me I'm a big girl and big girls should be able to go to parties. I wanted to show Mommy how I could be grown-up, so I went to the party anyway. I got all dressed up and everything. I wore my prettiest dress and put my hair in ribbons. I stuck down the stairs and almost made it to the dance floor before Jenny caught me. Jenny is her cook and she's real nice, but she didn't like me sneaking around. She told Mommy and Mommy got really, really mad. Mommy dragged me up the stairs by my hair and made me sit in the hallway on my knees. She told me I had to stay there all night long and if I moved, I would be punished. I tried really, really hard to stay on my knees, but I got so tired. I must have fallen asleep because I was woken up by Mommy and her friend. They must have been dancing really hard because they were swaying and couldn't stand upright on the stairs. He kept grabbing at Mommy for balance and Mommy kept laughing. I bet their feet hurt real bad. My knees hurt bad too. Mommy and her friend didn't pay me much attention. They went into Mommy's room and shut the door. The music played loud all night. Love always, Mary Sue Bennett. January 26, 1945. It's been real cold and Mommy has been crying more. I think she misses Papa. It's his birthday today. Usually for his birthday, she and Jenny make a big cake and we all sit around the table and eat it until our bellies are sore. But mommy didn't make a cake this year. When I asked Jenny why, she said that Papa doesn't need a cake anymore because he's in heaven. I hope heaven has cake. I decided to make a cake anyway for Papa, just in case. I wasn't sure what was in a cake, so I just added all the stuff that was in the kitchen. I was real proud of what I made even though it didn't look as good as what Jenny and mommy usually make. But I showed it to mommy anyway. Mommy wasn't too happy with the cake. She wasn't happy with the mess I made either. She slapped me really hard and said that Papa would be ashamed of me. That hurt my feelings real bad. I love Papa and I don't want to make him mad. Love always, Mary Sue Bennett. January 28th, 1945. Mommy says I'm sick. She won't let me leave my bed. I feel fine, but Mommy said that's what all sick people say. Mommy must think I'm a liar. I don't want to be a liar. Love always. Mary Sue Bennett. February 1st, 1945. Jenny came to check in on me and Mommy and her got into a real bad fight. Jenny says I'm not really sick and Mommy is just real sad, that's all. But that's not what Mommy says. Mommy says I'm too sick to leave my room. Mommy says the house is making her head fuzzy too. She gave me this medicine that made me feel real tired and sleepy. I felt like I was floating but it tasted real bad. It made my tummy hurt. I hope I get better soon. Love always, Mary Sue Bennett. February 4th, 1945. I heard Jenny and Mommy fight again. They didn't think I could hear them, but I could hear them through my door. Jenny says she's taking me to the doctor, but Mommy says that she's the only one who can take care of me. Mommy says I have to stay in the house. She's been giving me more medicine lately. I get two spoonfuls a day. Mommy says it's because I'm a big girl and need lots of medicine to make me better. I don't like the medicine. It makes my head and tummy hurt. I'm real sleepy, but mommy says that's because I'm sick. 
I don't want to take the medicine anymore. Love always, Mary Sue Bennett. February 27th, 1945. Jenny woke me up last night. It must have been real late because she told me to be really quiet so I wouldn't wake mommy up. She came over to my bed and tried to help me stand, but I couldn't walk. My legs hurt so badly. I don't know the last time that mommy let me stand. She says I'm too sick. But Jenny doesn't think I'm sick. Jenny thinks something is wrong with mommy. Jenny carried me out of my room and told me that she was taking me to a special doctor. She told me that I was safe now and I didn't have to worry. Mommy didn't like that. Mommy was waiting at the bottom of the stairs with a pistol Papa got her for her birthday. Mommy says I'm really sick and I need to go back to bed. Mommy is always right. Love always. Mary Sue Bennett. February 28th, 1945. Mommy spent all day scrubbing the floors. She said that there was a stain she had to get rid of. I asked her if Jenny could help her and Mommy said that Jenny went away. Mommy said that Jenny is with Papa. I'm glad Papa has a friend with him now. Love always, Mary Sue Bennett. March 17th, 1945. Mommy says the house hums at night. I tried real hard, but I didn't hear anything. Love always, Mary Sue Bennett. April 3rd, 1945. Mommy had a bunch of people come over yesterday. They all came into my room and told me what a brave girl I was. They told me that my mommy is taking such good care of me. Mommy takes real good care of me. She now gives me three spoonfuls of medicine a day. She says it's because I'm getting bigger, but I feel like I'm getting much smaller. I've lost so much weight and I, I keep finding clumps of my hair on my pillow. My tummy hurts real bad, but Mommy says she's going to make it all better. Love always, Mary Sue Bennett. April 16th, 1945. I was in the paper today. Mommy showed me an article about us and how she is taking such good care of me. I look real skinny in the picture, but Mommy says that's a good thing. She says it means I'm getting better. And Mommy looks so stunning in the photograph. Mommy says that people are going to send us some money so I can get better. Love always, Mary Sue Bennett. April 21st, 1945. I told Mommy I don't want to take the medicine anymore. Mommy didn't like that. Mommy says I'm a bad girl. Love always, Mary Sue Bennett. May 5th, 1945. I have a secret. I haven't been taking the medicine Mommy gave me. I know that makes me a bad girl, but I don't care about being a bad girl anymore. I hide the medicine in my mouth when Mommy gives it, and I spit it right out when she leaves my room. I feel much better now. My hair is starting to grow back, and I can actually eat the soup Mommy feeds me. Yesterday, I even walked across my room. Love always, Mary Sue Bennett. May 6, 1945. Mommy didn't like that I haven't been taking my medicine. Mommy isn't happy with me. Mommy cried when I told her I was feeling better. She, she slapped me across my face and told me how ashamed Papa would be of me. She told me I was a bad daughter. She told me I'm gonna be real sorry for what I've done. But I'm not sorry for what I've done. I'm not sick anymore. I don't like being sick. Love always, Mary Sue Bennett. May 10th, 1945. Mommy says I'm dying. She boarded up the windows in my room and, and locks the door each night. She says I'm contagious and I'll make her sick if I leave. I don't want to make her sick. I don't want to die either. She makes me take four spoonfuls of medicine each day. She waits for me to swallow it before she leaves the room, locking the door behind her. I, I don't feel so good anymore. Love always, Mary Sue Bennett. 
May 29th, 1945. Mommy makes me sick. I hear the humming now. Love always, Mary Sue Bennett. That's the last entry in the journal. When I googled Mary Sue Bennett, I found an obituary for a five-year-old girl. They say that she suffered from a long illness and died peacefully in her sleep on June 5, 1945. The obituary mentioned that the girl was cared for by her dutiful mother, Shirley Bennett. The obituary later went on to say how tragic of a story it was, but how Shirley was so brave and such a loving mother. When I googled Shirley Bennett, I found a wedding announcement from 1947. Shirley remarried a baker and had twins, John and Elizabeth. The happy family lived together in this house for years until Elizabeth and John were both killed in a fire on their 12th birthday. The source of the fire was never discovered, but I'm pretty sure I know who caused the fire, and I'm pretty sure that Mary didn't die of a prolonged illness. But I have to go now. Daddy wants me to come downstairs now to eat supper, so I have to say bye. Love always. Jesse O'Connor Well, that was spooky, don't you agree? Unfortunately, that's all the tales we have for you this time. But don't worry, there will be more to come. Do come again. We love our guests here at the Cursed Inn. Before we see you leave, I would like to take a moment and thank the people who have provided their voices to read these horror tales, along with everyone else who has been involved in bringing the horror to life here at the Cursed Inn. If you're a writer and you think your story is sinister enough to be featured on our podcast, then send it to us at thecursedin at gmail.com and we'll see if you have what it takes to scare our daily guests here at The Cursed Inn. Don't forget to check out our page on Facebook and Twitter for updates. We'll see you very, very soon.